You guys could be seated. How y'all feeling tonight? Man, if that was like anywhere else in the world, that'd be okay. But this is New York City. How y'all feeling tonight? Man, I'm excited to be here. It is always a privilege for me. Um, you know, seeing what God has done through the years in Misfit, it, it really blows my mind. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes we forget how, how much sacrifice, how much dedication goes into putting something like this on. So can we give a round of applause for all the volunteers, everybody here? Man, Ryan and Janice have been doing such an incredible job, man. Can we give it up for Ryan and Janice? So, like I said, I'm excited. Uh, can y'all hear me? Y'all can hear me? Can, can, can Put me up a little bit. Right here? Y'all can hear me now? All right. Um, I'm excited because... Uh, you know, I don't know if y'all remember, but when we were worshiping and uh, Kevin came up and, and gave that excellent exhortation, uh, he, he started talking about um, the, the woman with the issue of blood. Y'all remember that? And I, I swear, I promise you, I, I put that on, on everything I love. I, I did not share my notes with Kevin, but that's exactly what I wanted to share with you guys tonight. So if you have your Bibles, please unlock your screens. And... Uh, Open up to Mark chapter 5. We'll be reading starting from the 21st verse. When you're there, say, I'm there. Ain't nobody there. Nobody got their Bibles. I think we got it on the screens, right? right, I'll read it to you. And it goes like this. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she spent everything she had to pay them, but, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. See, something happens when you hear about Jesus. See, that's why it's important to tell people about Jesus. You know, I find that many times in our life, like, we're so caught up in our needs and, and what we want, but we forget to tell people about Jesus. The truth is, you already know about Jesus. You may be sitting here for your first time. I'm not talking to you if that's the case. But if you come week after week, you know where your strength comes from. But the important thing is to actually tell somebody else about Jesus. The Bible says she heard about Jesus. And so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power, that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? 
His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what happened to her, came and fell at, to her knees in front of him and told them what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Then he told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use of troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard, then said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus saw much commotion and and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kom, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. If you're taking notes this evening, I've titled this message, More Life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, we thank you, God. We thank you for another opportunity, God, to hear your message. God, we thank you that your presence is here, God. Lord, I ask that you have your way, God. Use me as your mouthpiece, God. If there's anything that I might have lacked in my preparation, God, fill that void. If there's anything that I might have put there that you don't want me to say, take it out, God. But at the end of the day, God, we want a timely word, God. We want a message that we can apply now, God. So would you move in this place, God. In Jesus' name we say, amen. So I remember one time when I was uh, really young, um, you know, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, as you can see, you know, like I work out a little bit, as you can tell sometimes, but like I'm not the biggest guy in the world. And the truth is, I never was like some people when they're babies, they got like baby fat. I never had baby fat. I don't know what baby fat looks like. So like. I remember when I was a little kid, I was always like the scrawny, skinny little kid, like in the neighborhood, and everybody knew it, right? And I remember I used to always go to the playground and want to play with my friends, and I had a bully. I had a bully. Um, I remember this bully. He was big. He uh, had a lot of baby fat. Um, and uh, we still weren't babies, but it just, the baby fat never left. There's some people like, their baby fat just don't leave. That was him, right? Um, And he was just so disrespectful. He was so mean to me. And all I ever wanted to do was just play. But, like, he would, like, curse at me. And in my mind, I'm like, what is his mother teaching this kid? Like, it's crazy. And then, like, I remember one day um, I bought an ice cream cone. And this guy, I don't know what's funny about an ice cream cone, but (laughs) I bought an ice cream cone. And uh, this, this kid saw me eating my ice cream cone, and I was excited about it. It was like vanilla with, like, sprinkles. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to have the first lick of my ice cream cone, and this kid says, hold on, and I just froze. And I'm just looking at him. And then he says, let me see your ice cream cone real quick. And then I look back at him, and I'm like, He takes my ice cream cone, and he licks my ice cream cone. He took a lick, but then he gave it back to me. So then I'm sitting there looking dumb with an ice cream cone that somebody else licked. But I was so excited about the ice cream cone 
that I just ate the ice cream cone anyways. It was crazy. But see, then my cousin was off at a distance, and then he comes up to me. He says, yo, yo, Joaquin, uh, uh, why'd you let another man, uh, this guy was, this kid was like six years old. Why you let another man lick your ice cream cone like that? And then I said, I said, I don't know. He's bigger than me. I'm scared of him. I mean, I don't know. He goes, yo, next time he tries to lick your ice cream cone, you let me know. I'm going to take care of it. So little do you know, three days later, I go back to the park and I order my regular. I mean, the ice cream man knew it. It's Joaquin. He wants the vanilla ice cream cone with the rainbow sprinkles. So I ordered this thing. And then um, surely, you know, this kid, this big kid comes around. He's like, yo. And I'm like, yo. He's like, yo, let me get your ice cream cone real quick. I said, no. He said, what? I said, no, I'm not giving you my ice cream cone. And then he says, oh, for, then I'm going to take it out of nowhere. My cousin comes up on the scene. He's like, my man, you're not going to eat my cousin's ice cream cone. Yo, but then, but then this kid... Looks at him, he says, why not? He said, because I said so. He said, who are you? He said, I'm his cousin. Then this kid beat my cousin up. (laughs) Then I looked at him and I was like, yo, my man, take my ice cream cone. I'm so sorry. Just take it. Just take it. But then out of nowhere, there was another voice. That voice was the voice of my father. He said, why are you giving him your ice cream cone? Then the kid looks up at my dad. He goes, oh, I, I, I didn't want his ice cream cone. He goes, let that be the last time you ask my kid for his ice cream cone. And then this kid ran away. You see, it was at that moment that I realized it's not what I was believing for. It was who I I put my trust in. It's not what I was believing for. It was who I put my trust in. See, trust is everything. Your trust is everything. See, I'll give you an example. See, most times people put their complete trust in their boyfriend or their girlfriend. But see, then here's the thing, right? This boyfriend or girlfriend breaks your heart. Then God is over here trying to show you what his perfect love looks like. But then your vision of love is tainted because you still think that love looks like what you had with your ex. It's a trust issue. See, others, others got a different trust issue. Other, put, other people put their trust in like a habit or a drug. So when you get frustrated or you get angry or you get disappointed or you get upset or you feel let down, you go back to this thing to satisfy you for a moment. But here's the thing about a moment. A moment won't last. So when the high is up, you're back hitting the wall of disappointment. But if you would have put your trust on the high priest, Jesus Christ, your fulfillment would have lasted a lifetime. Man, we often have a trust issue. Point number one, if you're taking notes, put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Psalm 910 says this, those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not, do not abandon those that search for you. See, that should encourage somebody in this place because oftentimes we think God is going to abandon us. Why? Because we're facing trials. We're facing obstacles. We're we're facing different things in our life. And the truth is the Bible says, oh, no, 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 no. There won't be a day where God abandons you. Why? Because he loves you. He has a purpose for you. And there's a reason why you're here, but it depends where you have your trust in. You see, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for the story because Jairus didn't think the same way we do. See, Jairus, the Bible says, he fell at his feet pleading fervently. Falling at his feet in front of Jesus symbolizes surrender. My man was talking about that earlier, right? 
And here's the thing. We got to keep it in context. The Bible says he was the leader of a local synagogue. So that means this was a religious man. That means he was all about religion. He knew exactly what religion was. But see, I believe. He decided, you know what, I got to get to Jesus and I got to give up my religious way of thinking because sometimes a religious way of thinking can keep me from getting to Jesus. And I believe that when he saw Jesus, when he got a glimpse of Jesus, he got a glimpse of relationship. He got a revelation about relationship. You may be sitting here and asking, Joaquin, what is a religious way of thinking? Well, I'll tell you, a religious way of thinking is when you say, I have to do certain things in order to get to God. A relationship relationship way of thinking is saying relationship is all about grace and grace draws me closer to God. Point number two, seek relationship with Jesus. Seek relationship with Jesus. See, Jairus tells Jesus his daughter is dying. And then he says to Jesus, would you lay hands on her and heal her? So then the Bible says that Jesus goes towards Jairus' house. But then out of nowhere, just like that, while they were going, and it said a crowd followed, out of nowhere, it said that a woman that was dealing with constant bleeding was in the crowd. Side note, you know why it's important to always praise? You know why it's important to always raise your hands in worship? See, sometimes it has very little to do with you. Can I just suggest to you tonight, you don't know who you're sitting next to. You don't know who's in the crowd tonight. Somebody might need to be encouraged. Somebody may need their own breakthrough. And life may be looking good for you right now, but the truth is, you don't know how life is looking for the person to your left or the person to your right. So always remember to praise. Always remember to worship. Why? Because there is breakthrough in your worship. There is breakthrough in your praise. And the enemy wants you to stay quiet. And the enemy wants you to keep your hands down. But the truth is, there's a reason why you're here. It doesn't often have to do with just you. It has to do with somebody else. You don't know who's in the crowd. This woman suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She's in the crowd. The Bible says she gave everything she had to doctors. She gave her trust. She gave her money. She gave everything she has to to doctors. And then it says that she didn't get any better. And matter of fact, she got worse. I believe I'm talking to people here tonight that are facing situations that look like they haven't gotten any better over the year. It actually looks like it's gotten worse. I mean, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I know that it's at times in life we find ourselves in places where we like to think that if we pray real quick or if we worship real quick, God will just take care of everything on the spot. But the truth is... When you're walking this life, when you're walking this narrow walk, oftentimes things get better before they get worse. But see here, it's those moments that that Jesus shows up. The Bible says she she had constant bleeding, right? You got to think about that. Like I, I think we often read past that real quick. Constant bleeding. What does blood do for you? It keeps you alive, right? So bleeding for 12 years, that means like life was literally being drained out of her. Sometimes our obstacles, sometimes life literally drains the life out of us. But she says to herself, she says, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to push past this crowd because I got to get to Jesus. Why? Because I believe that if I could just touch him, I will be healed. If I can just touch him, I will be healed. So the Bible says this woman with constant bleeding. Please pay attention to the way the Bible describes this woman. The Bible doesn't give her a name. 
Like, I don't know if her name was Sharon. I don't know if her name was Melanie. I don't know if her name was Monique. I wish I could tell you her name. I mean, for all I know, her name could have been Joaquina. I, I don't know. I don't know what's so funny. That's why I'm naming my daughter. So my wife is looking at me like, no, you're not. <laughs> we'll talk about it later, babe. Anyways, the Bible doesn't identify her with her name. The Bible identifies her with her condition. Have you ever faced something in your life? Have you ever struggled with something and then the people around you that have known you for years attaches your identity with what you're going through? I'll give you an example. It sounds a little something like this, like, oh, oh, man, that's, um, that's homeboy. He's always upset. Um, he's angry. Or, oh, that's that, that's that kid that got, like, four girlfriends, don't like none of them. Oh, he, he's promiscuous. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's, um, that, that's that kid that's always sad, like his parents just got divorced and everything. He's, he's depressed. Oh, man, like, that's, that's that kid that just, he's suicidal. Am I talking to anyone in this place? Like, do you know what that feels like when someone attaches your identity with what you're going through and not what God called you to be? See, this is what the Bible says happens to her. This is how the Bible identified her. See, but this is what happens next. She pushes past through the crowd, right, while she has constant bleeding. So she's probably feeling really weak right now. And then the Bible says she comes up from behind him. Meant, uh, let me just point out, the Bible says behind him. That means his back was towards her. Oftentimes we would stop right there. God, you're not answering my prayers. It feels like your back is towards me. I should stop pressing. I should stop trying to get to you. Why? Because it just sounds like you're not even looking in my direction, God. I've been praying for too long. Why? Why does it seem like you're not looking? Can't you see me, God? I feel like I got no life right now. I feel like life is being drained out of me. Why are you walking away, God? Why are you moving? Why are you blessing that person? Why are you on the way to give that person a miracle? Why are you on the way to blessing that person? I've been struggling for 12 years. I've been struggling, struggling for a lifetime. Why don't you look at me? See, but that's not how this woman thought. She said, I'm going to get to him. So the Bible says she starts pressing towards the crowd. And I can imagine her struggling, life being drained out of her. And then it says that she touches him, touches his robe. Man, that's, that, that's, that's crazy to me. She touches his robe. If I can only touch his robe, that's what she said. See, that's faith on a whole nother level. That's faith on a whole nother level. level. I wish I had that kind of faith. See, remember Jairus in the beginning of the story we just read? Jairus looks at Jesus and said, if you come to my house and if you lay hands, a.k.a. if you touch my daughter, she will be healed. This woman said, oh, I don't need him to even look my way. This woman said, oh, I don't even need him to touch me. Nope. If I could just touch him, I will be healed. If I can just get to him, I'll be healed. If I can just get to him, I'll get my breakthrough. See, what I'm trying to tell you tonight, I'm trying to help somebody here. See, you're asking why you haven't gotten your breakthrough, but the reason is you're sitting at home waiting for the blessing to come to you, and God is saying, my arms are wide open. You got to get to me. Your breakthrough is right here. Your victory is right here. Your healing is right here. Your friend's salvation is right here. You got to get to me. You got to touch me. This is that woman. This is the faith of that woman. So then she gets to him and she was absolutely right. The Bible says the bleeding stopped right away. And then Jesus says, who touched me? He was walking towards 
Jairus' house. He gets touched by his robe. He stops, looks back, and says, who touched me? And then the, the, the Bible says that the disciples are looking at, him, looking at him like he has four heads. He's like, yo, my man, I can imagine it's Peter because Peter had like an anger issue. <laughs> he was always upset about something. They were, they were like working the fields for so long. He was probably like, yo, let's just get to his house and heal his daughter because he probably got some sancocho waiting at the fridge. Like, <laughs> I can imagine it being Peter, right? He looks, at, he looks at Jesus. He's like, what are you talking about? Look at this crowd. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's pressing up against you. And then Jesus, the Bible says that he, he ignores him and he keeps on looking to see who done it. Why is he ignoring him? Because Peter misunderstood what he was trying to ask. He wasn't asking who touched me physically. What Jesus was saying is I felt a faith touch. It was a different kind of touch. See, people are brushing up against me, but they're not touching me and getting what they need from me. See, people are just maybe talking about me, and they're trying to see what I do next, and they want to see the next performance. But see, there was somebody in the crowd that needed something from me. There was somebody in the crowd that needed that breakthrough, and that's what I'm talking about. I felt the faith touch. I felt that touch of faith touch me, and Jesus always acknowledges faith. He always acknowledges faith. So she looks, he asks, and then she's scared. Why is she scared? If you, if you do your research, it's because somebody like her should not be touching somebody like him. And these days, oftentimes, women, women couldn't even speak without permission. That's one thing. The second thing is she struggled with constant bleeding. Somebody struggling with what she was struggling with would be marked as, like, unclean. That means, like, you're, you're quarantined. You go over there. We stay over here, right? So the fact, the fact that she had all this against her and she still decided to muster up some courage and some strength and some faith and still get to Jesus. Guys, you got things against you. There are friends telling you, you shouldn't be going to church. There are friends that come with you to church, sit next to you in church, and make you feel stupid if you raise your hand. You got things going against you. You may come here and your family may not be saved. And your mom and your dad may be saying, why do you go to that church? You have things against you. But what I'm trying to say is when you have a revelation about Jesus, it doesn't matter what the world says. It matters what their faith says. It matters what your faith says. Point number three, Jesus is pleased by faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, and it was impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him earnestly. I love it because when she, uh, she admits it was her, he, he looks at her and then says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter. Remember the Bible identified her by her condition? See, Jesus identified with her. He said, daughter, I'm giving you identity. When you get to Jesus, you get your identity. When you get to Jesus, he tells you who you are. He says, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Why are you bothering with this guy on the regular? Why are you texting this guy? Why are you texting this girl? They don't deserve your time. Why you are a son? You are a daughter of the most high God. Why are you hurting yourself at night? Why are you having these dreams? Why are you putting yourself through that situation? You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a child of God. See, God gives you identity when you get to him. Then, then, uh, then this happens. I, 
I can relate to this part right here. It says that when, when he tells her this, it says, while he was speaking to her, messengers came and told Jairus that his daughter is now dead. And there is no point to bother Jesus. The Bible says Jesus overheard them. If you read it in its original language, it actually reads more like Jesus ignores them. And, and, and so Jesus ignores him and, and, and tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Side note, you have to ignore the voices in your life that are trying to distract you from the miracle. There are many voices that we face on a, daily, on a daily basis that try to distract you from your purpose, that try to distract you from your miracle. And what God is showing us, what Jesus is showing us in that moment is, yeah, I, I, I heard some rumbling over here, but it makes no sense because I don't understand what doubt says. I don't understand doubt. I don't speak that language. I speak the language of faith. So I'm going to just ignore that right there. That's what Jesus says. So then he tells Jairus, he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. See, I love the fact that Jairus never complained not once. I mean, imagine this. He said, my daughter is dying. There's a sense of urgency there. My daughter is dying. Jesus, I need you to come. And then out of nowhere, on the way to his miracle, his miracle gets interrupted. And not one time we hear about Jairus complaining to Jesus, why'd you stop? Why haven't I gotten my breakthrough yet? Why haven't I gotten my miracle yet? Why are you stopping for her? You're losing focus, Jesus. See, many times we would get discouraged ourselves. We've been praying for something for so long. We see somebody else get blessed that we don't want to come to church no more because we feel like we're not special to God no more. But Jairus, I believe Jairus didn't complain for a couple of reasons. One, he knew Jesus was faithful and that when he said he would take care of it, it's going to be done. I believe God has given some of you guys a word and, and sometimes you keep questioning that word. And what God is saying is, I'm going to get to it on my perfect timing, in my perfect timing, in the right season. I'll be faithful, just trust in me. But then I also believe Jairus also cared about the other's needs. See, I believe Jairus didn't complain because he actually cared about this woman. And because he cared about this woman, this woman's act of faith probably encouraged Jairus. See, that's the thing. When we're all pressing towards God, when we're doing it as a community, when we're doing it as a family, oftentimes we can find encouragement by somebody else's situation. That's the power of testimony. See, God is asking you to share your testimony with your classmates, with your coworkers, with people at school, with your own family members. Why? Because your testimony can encourage somebody else to believe for their situation. I believe Jairus cared about this woman. I believe she, he got encouraged by this woman. See, but Jairus understood, point number four, that Jesus is always on time. And, you know, many times... We know that, like, God's ways make no sense. His timing sometimes to us seems like it's totally off. Like, God, you're going to wait till the body is dead to heal him? So you're going to disregard the fact that the body is, like, the woman, the girl is crying and she's, like, begging for her life. You're going to wait till the body is, it, it makes no sense to us. But this is what the Bible says. Isaiah 55, 8 says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. See, I love that verse because, see, the way we think can't possibly fathom the, the things and the purpose that God has for our life. We put ourselves in a little box. God looks at us and says, no, there's so much more for you. You just don't realize it. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. 
See, oftentimes we believe that the blessing is at the destination. And what the story is trying to show us is that the real blessing happens during the process. See, Jairus' faith got encouraged by this woman in the process. He had faith to believe Jesus was faithful. Why? Because they were on their way. They weren't at the destination yet. I'm trying to suggest to somebody tonight that God is trying to do something in you in the process right now. There's a reason why you haven't gotten what you've been praying for. He's trying to build your character. He's trying to build your trust. He's trying to build your faith. There's something he's doing inside of you right now that he needs to do in order for you to even handle the miracle that's to come. A lot of times we ask God to bless us for something, but the truth is, if he were to bless you with it, you probably mess it up right now. Because God knows that you probably got an anger issue. You can't handle a relationship right now. God knows this. You probably got a lust issue. You can't, you can't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend right now. God knows you got an unforgiveness issue. He can't give you that breakthrough right now. God is trying to work something in you right now in the process. I thank God that God is the God of the process. God is the God of the process. He's not ignoring you. He's taking you, he's taking you through something to make you stronger, to give you more courage, to build your next faith. Why? Because this is just a giant you see in your life right now. But the truth is that once you slay this giant, there's another giant that's going to come. And if he works in you right now, you'll have the strength to take that giant down. And then when you take that giant down... What I'm trying to say is what God is doing in you, the enemy's not going to be able to stop in the future. See, the enemy has plans for you to attack you, to discourage you, to take things away. What God is saying is I'm trying to strengthen you right now so you can defeat the enemy, so the enemy can be at the bottom of your feet. It happens in the process. It happens in the process. So he gets to, and, and, and can someone help me up here on the piano? Uh, he, he gets to Jairus' house. I'm almost done. He gets to Jairus' house. The Bible says that there were people there weeping, they were crying, they were wailing, and there was a lot of commotion that was happening in this house. A lot of commotion. Jesus comes inside of Jairus' house, and then he says, why are you guys crying? What's all this commotion about? The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. And then the Bible says that the weeping and wailing turned into laughter. But this wasn't the type of laughter that was like, ha ha, praise the Lord Jesus, you're good, yeah, yes. That wasn't the kind of laughter it was talking about. It was the kind of laughter like, you sound ridiculous right now. You know what that feels like. You sound ridiculous right now. Get out of here with all that talk. The girl is dead. There's no life in her right now. See, the world is laughing at you right now. The world is trying to say, man, he's dead. He's numb. He hasn't been on fire for God in years and months and weeks. He's good as dead. What are you talking about? He's only asleep. See, there's a reason why you came to this service tonight. The enemy is trying to say, you're dead spiritually. And what God is saying is, hold up. He's only asleep. Man, I feel like I'm talking to a particular person in this place right now. I feel like I'm talking to somebody specifically right now. He's telling me to stop my message and tell you he loves you. He's been chasing after you. There's purpose in your life that you've been trying to run away from, and he's drawing you back. You're only asleep. He's about to wake you up. The Bible says there were people, people weeping and wailing, crying. He says, stop. She's only asleep. I believe their laughter 
showed that they had no empathy for the need in the house. Leaders, pay close attention. They had no empathy for the need in the house. I love what Jesus did next. He says, get out. Why? Because if you don't care about the need in the house, you won't be a part of the miracle. If you don't care about that person you're supposed to be praying for, you're not going to be a part of the breakthrough. Oh, we're talking about tribes. You're forgetting to call your kids. You're forgetting to be there doing life with them then you won't be a part of the miracle. You won't be a part of the breakthrough. What God is trying to say is, I'm only going to let people that actually care in on the miracle. Why? Because it's their prayers that I'm answering. It is their prayers, their cry. It's that. That's what attracts me. That's what I'm trying to get to. So everybody else, get out. There's no room for doubt when it comes to the things of God. There's no room for fear when it comes to the things of God. Perfect love cast out all fear. This was love embodied in flesh that was walking into that, in that place. So they had to get out. They had to get out. If you don't care about the need, you won't be a part of the miracle. Get out. Then Jesus goes up to the little girl. And then he grabs her hand. He touches her. Grabs her hands. And says, little girl, get up. And the little girl instantly got up. And everybody was overwhelmed. Everybody was happy. Everybody was, was joyful. This, this, this father got her daughter, his daughter back. This mother got her daughter back. Their prayers were answered. Why? Because Jesus always arrives on time. And, and my final point, point number five, there is always more life in Jesus. There is always more life in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I... I don't know what you may be going through. The truth is, I don't really need to know. I don't. Because God knows. But what I know is that he wanted you to know tonight that if you could just put your trust in me, if you could just put your faith in me, I am willing and I am able to do what you're asking me to do. There's more life in me. There's more life in Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed. 1 John 5 verses 11 to 12 says this. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Tonight, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. But I feel like God is asking that question is, is, do you have my son tonight? Is Jesus, is Jesus your savior? Is, is Jesus your king? Is your trust in the right place? Or has your trust been in everything else but me? God is saying, I want to restore some things tonight. I want to resurrect some things tonight. There's some people that may have been numb and may be running away from the things of God for some time. But God is saying, "I'm, I'm ready to bring you back. I've been calling your name for so long. I want you to get here. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise a hand. Just raise a hand. I see you. I see you. I see you. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do, take some bravery. But I'm going to ask you to get up out your seat and meet me at this altar. We want to pray for some people tonight. We want to pray for some people tonight.
Brother, brothers and sisters, pardon me for a moment. I, I didn't plan on saying this tonight, but there's something I have to point out. See, the Bible says that when this, when this woman with the issue of blood, it says she was dealing with this issue for 12 years. Then the Bible also tells us at the end of the story that the little girl that was about to die was 12 years old. That means that when this woman's issue started, this, woman, this little girl was born. That means that when she was struggling with this, there was a generational thing. As she was going on through this, she was in her process. The little girl was going in her process to get to that time where she was about to die. The reason I share that is, see, I believe there's somebody in this place that's saying to themselves, See, I feel like what I'm dealing with is generational. See, why? Because my father has been through what I've been through, and he's still not in a good place. My, 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 my aunt, my grandma, my grandfather. See, alcohol has been an issue for years. It's generational. See, there was a connection there. There was, there was a connection in the scriptures here. And what God is trying to say is that he met the need of the, of the first one, the woman with the issue of blood. He also met the need of the last one, the little girl that was 12 years old. What God is trying to say is that if you can muster up enough faith to say, I need need you he will only bring healing in your life he's gonna bring healing in the life of your family and your loved ones and the people around you there is no generational curse when Jesus is involved he breaks every chain he breaks every single chain every single bondage there was a general there's a generational issue in your family I want you to just raise a hand I want you to raise a hand I'm going to ask you to come up to this altar. I'm going to ask you to come up to this altar. Why? Because God is saying, I can meet that need. I need you to trust me. I can meet that need. I need you to have faith. I'm going to break that thing in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, God. See, alcohol may have been an issue for your family, but I declare in the name of Jesus, it's not going to be an issue for you. See, drugs may have been an issue in your family. It's not going to be an issue for you. God is going to give you the strength you need to get through. See, promiscuity might have been an issue in your family. Your father may have other baby mamas. It doesn't matter. God is saying, I can give you the strength to get through. I can give you the strength to give you your breakthrough. So just like the little girl's father. Jairus, he fell at Jesus' feet in a sign of surrender. And just as that, that woman fell to his feet in a sign of surrender, I'm going to ask us all to lift up our hands, surrendering it all to God. And I want you to think about that thing. I want you to think about that obstacle. I want you to think about that hurdle. And I want you to give it to God right now. Confess it with your mouth. God can get it. God can break that chain. Mel, would you lead us?